0: One of the misconceptions you could have is, it's already mainstream. I think it's not at all mainstream. It's still very niche, even though the biggest brands in the world are doing stuff with it.
1: Hello and welcome to Defire, your crypto storytelling podcast that's not afraid to tell it like it is. My name is Jonas, and today we are going on a bit of a digital adventure. I recently got to sit down with Mark Baumann. Now Mark is an interesting guy. He used to be the head of marketing at Bitcoin Swiss, and these days he's out there in the wild, helping companies navigate the weird and wonderful world of Web3, NFTs, and this thing they call the metaverse. Mark and I had a chat about his time at Bitcoin Swiss, what it takes for crypto to go mainstream, and where he sees this whole digital revolution heading. It's a conversation that's part tech, part marketing, and all kinds of fascinating. So whether you are a crypto native, or just someone who's curious about where all this internet money stuff is going, stick around, we've got a great show for you. So get comfortable, put those headphones on, and let's jump into the digital deep end with Mark Baumann. But before we start, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey listeners, I'm happy to announce that I'm launching a brand new venture. I'm still looking for a good name, but it's basically podcasting as a service. If you have ever recorded a podcast, you know that it's a ton of work especially after you've done the fun part which is the recording of the podcast the real work begins you need to make the sound good edit the conversation take out all these ums and ems mix the podcast and master it upload it to all the relevant channels and platforms and that's not all you also have to promote the episode write show notes and the promo material like those little videos for linkedin twitter youtube or even TikTok. So wouldn't it be amazing if there would be a team of experts doing all of this work for you so you can focus on what you're good at, having meaningful conversations with industry leaders? Well, that's exactly what you get when you partner with me. If that is something you and your company might be interested in, I would happily take you on as a client. It doesn't matter if you already have a podcast or if you want to launch one. This is a limited time offer, so don't hesitate to get in touch with me now to figure out the details. Send me an email to jonas at defire.money and take it from there. That's jonas at defire.money. And now let's start the show. One thing I also wanted to ask you actually before we start yep. um, is what would this episode make a success for you from your perspective? What do you want out of this?
0: It's a success if listeners who don't know a lot about crypto or a lot about Web3 afterwards know what those concepts or those things are about and that it's not all about those negative things that we heard recently in the news all the time and that they see the potential of it, but also that they recognize the limitations that we currently have. I'm not a guy who just uh, thinks the crypto or Web3 gospel blindly or based on ideology. I think it's very important to take it back to reality and uh, see it in the eyes of a normal user.
1: Yeah, no, and I I definitely feel similar because I I sometimes feel really frustrated with the space and even thinking about quitting, you know, like... Mm -hmm. If, you, if you're too long in here and sometimes you just think, ah, w- what the hell? But today is not one of those days. Actually, it's, it was a very positive week. And yeah. you also just posted something on LinkedIn. And maybe let me quickly just introduce you and you can fill in the gaps. And then we take it from there. So I'm talking to you, Mark Bauman. You've been the head of marketing at Bitcoin Swiss. You joined around 2018, right? So uh, kind of in the bear market. And Bitcoin Swiss is founded by this eccentric. Now, billionaire Nicholas Nickleisen, how did you end up at Bitcoin Swiss? What was your intro to this
0: space? My my intro was actually rather coincidental. So I've looked into blockchain, I've looked into crypto before. We even had a course at university on it, and I knew there's something interesting about it, and there's some revolution in a way coming up. But I didn't yet fully understand the concept behind it. I just thought it was intriguing. And what it made it even more intriguing was when I met Nicholas Nikolaisen and the CEO of Bitcoin Swiss at that time, Arthur Wailoyan, because I just felt there's a very special energy about those two people in their vision, in what, what their plans are, and also the opportunities that lie ahead in such a, an early and young dynamic field. I studied at University of St. Colin and sometimes I think when you went to St. Colin, you're a bit narrow how you see the world afterwards. And that was for me a very welcoming, I would say almost way out of the normal path that a typical house case student would do.
1: Yeah. And St. Colin is like this very prestigious business school here in Switzerland. There's a lot of, uh, you know, stereotypes like the young rich Germans drive there with their Porsches from their daddy, etc. And it's a, it's a great school. A lot of people go into consulting, go into banking, all that kind of stuff. And you were also there, but you always felt a little bit different in, in that regard. Like when you looked around in the room, did you feel like the odd one out or not necessarily?
0: And not necessarily, but I was always intrigued by doing things a little bit differently and doing things that have an unknown outcome. Mm-hmm. And that was such a thing because at the time in 2018, uh, for the people who started in crypto very, very early. So as you may know, Bitcoin was conceived in 2008, nine, And there are people who are in the space since then, like Nicholas Nikolaisen was. Um, 2018 was... was uh, not early at all, right? But mm-hmm. for yeah. us normal people, um, 2018 was quite early because no one knew about Bitcoin at that time in crypto. And it was all still uh, very n- not mainstream.
1: So that, that's interesting. So you, you actually landed in this company somehow, but you were not one of those early ide- ideologists. You, you heard about it, and then somehow this opportunity presented itself. And yeah, Nik- you mentioned also Nikolais Nikolaisen because I met him quite early on. And he is a really charismatic, very witty guy, tall, looks like a pirate, dresses, he's very eccentric, recently bought like a tank, you know, has lo- a lot of weird hobbies and interests, like gold coins and old weapons and buying a fort. He also bought, tell tell us some stories about Nicholas Nikolaisen and Let's paint the picture of who is
0: the founder of Bitcoin Swiss. Yeah, I mean, you're right. He's he's very eccentric. He's a very inspiring person when you know him, when you're a bit closer to him. And I think he was also the right person to build that company up. He built that up with two other young guys, Andre and Fabian. At that time, that was 2013, they were both studying at the University of St. Colin as well. And during... At the evenings, they would travel to Zug and, and help Nicholas out in starting the business. And that was a really hard time. So for the first four years of the Bitcoin Swiss company, from 2013 to about 2017, when the first bull run started and the, the topic became a bit more public, that was a hard time. And it needed a person like Nicholas Nikolaisen, who had a, a very clear vision Uh, of that technology, who had a very deep understanding of the technology. Initially, he's a programmer, he studied uh, IT, but he also had a very clear understanding from an economic perspective, from a political perspective. And that's actually also what makes that space so interesting and the technology so interesting. Bitcoin and crypto is not only a technology, it's, it's much more what could you actually do on bitcoin swiss bitcoin
1: swiss is a broker it's not an exchange what what exactly who are the, the customers of bitcoin swiss i've never became a customer and i was also early in the game but there were options for swiss people to buy crypto mm-hmm. before what what was the, the niche that they filled mm-hmm.
0: so bitcoin swiss started as a broker which means that um people would call Niklas up uh, at that time. They only had uh, their personal cell phones and they wanted to trade Bitcoin. They wanted to buy Bitcoin. At that time, there was only Bitcoin, nothing else. And uh, they facilitated those trades because they had the connections to the first exchanges, they knew their way around within the ecosystem. And that was really the, the start of the business. And actually, that's also quite a funny story. Even before that, uh, Niklas worked at Credit Suisse as a computer programmer <laughs>
1: now gone yeah yeah now <laughs> crazy now gone.
0: and uh-huh. he, he he wanted to start the project bitcoin swiss internally at credit swiss and and they they weren't a big fan of that so he quit that job and just did it on his own and that's actually also where the name bitcoin swiss comes from it's initially an adaption of credit swiss so that was the first the start of the business selling Buying Bitcoin for friends, basically. Okay, and, and that continued and continued for the first years, and the business got a little bit bigger. When you look at the first websites, that looked very, very mundane. It, it's basically like uh, a website of the nineties mm-hmm. uh, when you compare it to websites today. So that that's the gap that's between now and then. And then they started just adding services, always based on client demand. So suddenly those people needed a a place to store their crypto. So they built up a custody business or they needed a way to get additional liquidity. So they built up a collateralized lending business and so on and so on. And today, Bitcoin Swiss is the biggest crypto financial service provider in Switzerland. And they offer the whole range of crypto financial services.
1: But it it also serves um, people abroad, right? It's not just Swiss people because the Swiss market is tiny. I mean, we have like around 8 million people now living in Switzerland. And yeah, not not all of them are obviously in crypto yet. Tell us a bit, yes. of, did, did you have like uh, clients that were a little bit out of the ordinary or that that you're allowed to talk about?
0: Uh, I, I can't talk about specific clients, but um, Bitcoin Swiss it grew with the OGs of the space, I would say. Um, and when you talk about international clients, uh, that's also an interesting fact that Nicholas is, is, Danish. Mm-hmm. So he came here from Denmark and that's why the company, because we still has a business unit in Denmark, even today. And they had a lot of Danish clients at the beginning as well. Mm-hmm. And those clients, they were very early in the space. This was all quite a small community. Then in 2015, Ethereum came here. Bitcoin was, Bitcoin Swiss was very close to the, the Ethereum team. They helped them doing their first public sale. That's how the community around Bitcoin Swiss and the Crypto Valley grew bigger
1: and bigger. Tell and me more about this public sale. You're saying the Ether ICO, Bitcoin Swiss had their hands in that as well.
0: From from what I know is that they helped the Ethereum team to raise funds. I don't wow. know exactly in, in what way or how that happened, but that's what I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and you started 2018. So basically after the first, not the f- very first, but one of, uh, a very epic bull run of 2017, right, it peaked and then. Then when you started, actually it went all downhill price wise. Yeah. How, how did that feel? How was the, you know, inside of the company? Do you remember how was the sentiment then? And what did you do? What did you need to do? Like did you did you fear for your job, for instance? Because, you know, like it was not sure at all if this crypto thing is going to continue. Now, in in hindsight, we, we are more sure. But back then, I remember it, it, it was really dire times.
0: Mm-hmm. I. I never feared for my job at any time when I was a Bitcoin Swiss, and especially never during those early days as well, because this was such a, a tightly knit team at that time. And there was such a big conviction that this is a technology that will change the world. And we are part of that revolution and we're building on that. And it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to progress anyway at some point. So there's no need to worry. And that that was a bit the feeling at that beer market in 2018. Mm -hmm. And I never, even though I joined at that time, I was never much affected by the prices because I didn't join crypto to get rich or anything. But I I remember the the beer market 2018. It's quite similar to what we're experiencing now. So there was a lot of bad headlines and... Uh, bad narratives, and people start questioning uh, what they're doing and whether this is all legit, and there are a lot of people quitting and leaving the space. And yeah, it's it's similar today as well. Mm-hmm. It's yeah.
1: funny, no, no problem. We were talking about bears, but what I he- heard in the background are cows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, <laughs> so yeah. the countryside of Switzerland, Exactly. Uh, also going a little bit against the mainstream. By choosing to live in the countryside, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: You know, it's interesting as well. I went, I went once to a Bitcoin meetup where Nicholas Nikolai had um, like a speech or something. And it was at a time where I would say there have already been a lot of like crypto has been become sort of mainstream or like the people interested in crypto, they formed around those meetups in these groups. And... There was a clear, like, anti every other coin than Bitcoin sentiment. Not coming from Nicholas; he was just presenting there. But in the crowd, it was a, a pure um, Bitcoin meetup. Um, I think with ah yeah with Andreas and Ant, I can't say his name, Antonopoulos, whatever. Antonopoulos, yeah, yeah. He was presenting something there, and I, I remember sitting next to like some guy. I didn't know him, but he showed me his app. With the Bitcoin prices, and there was like Bitcoin on top, and then the other ones you couldn't even see. Like it was just shitcoin one, shitcoin two, like you know, like an app specifically to show the the prices of the other coins, but you don't even know what coin it is. It was just a a, a poop emoji, and that somehow stuck with me.
0: I was yeah. there as well at the meetup. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a it, big hall, right? Mm-hmm. It
1: was at the Fox House.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and very, very strong energy. Full house. Yeah,
1: Bitcoin and... broke ten k again. Yeah, I remember it was like down and it broke ten k again. It was kind of people were eu- euphoric, and uh, but I walked away a bit deflated because of this experience. Because I felt like okay, these people are only interested in Bitcoin, and they really think all the rest is literally dog shit, right? They hate they hate the other stuff, and that was strange to me. how was that? in the company that
0: has Bitcoin in its name. Mm-hmm. E- even though B- Bitcoin Bitcoin is in the Bitcoin Swiss name, Bitcoin Swiss uh, was has always been impartial about what currencies they offer, what they promote, what they tell their clients. When Bitcoin Swiss was founded, there was only Bitcoin around. So that's where the name came in. And I know that we've talked a couple of times about whether it would make sense to change the name Bitcoin Swiss to some other name. And then we thought, no, Bitcoin Swiss is such a strong brand uh, that we would only lose with that. And in a way, Bitcoin is not only a currency, it's also a concept, a larger concept, an idea, a, a philosophy, a fundamental basis on which everything in this space is based upon. And I think that's what makes this, this name okay and intriguing. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the, uh, the I name... mean,
1: nothing against the name, I just yeah. wondered if, if, cause there are now companies that are just focusing on, on Bitcoin that really yeah. dig down on this narrative or. You know, there's this big niche of people who are just interested in Bitcoin. They don't care about all the other stuff. And I think it's also a leadership thing. If the leaders are very ideologically connected to Bitcoin, they will they would even would not want to work with any other technology, right? But mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to be the case with, with Bitcoin Swiss, who, as you said, has launched other coins. And I think you had other private sales going on as well. Like mm-hmm. Polkadot was one of the big ones. Tezos, I think you also helped to get off the ground, right?
0: OmiseGo, yeah, yeah,
1: all all kinds of cool stuff.
0: Yes, something else regarding Bitcoin only. I mean, at that time there wasn't a lot of other stuff around. I mean, you had Ethereum coming up. You didn't have DeFi. Uh, you didn't have NFTs, and those two things they are now increasingly big sub, sub parts of the of the whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it, it was natural at that time that Bitcoin was kind of at the forefront of the discussions. And now I think, yeah, it's, it's just part of, of the whole ecosystem. Definitely. And now,
1: well, before we switch to your new project, yeah. I actually have one more question concerning marketing, because I used to be a marketer as well. And I wonder what, how our jobs might have been different. Because you've been the head of marketing or you became the head of marketing of Bitcoin Swiss. And I used to be the head of marketing of a small software as a service company where we had to acquire like each client. It was really hard and we had to, you you know, like fill the funnel with interesting people, spread awareness. And then I was also calling people and doing sales. It was a really tiny company compared to yours. But I always had the feeling when I seen the marketing from Bitcoin Swiss, it was a, a marketing that was more like, When you arrive at the airport in Zurich, there's a big Bitcoin Swiss banner. Then you go into the tram. The whole tram was covered in Bitcoin Swiss. How did you think about marketing? Was it more like this performance marketing kind of style that I did as well? Or was it more like this, you know, like creating awareness, going really broad with with Switzerland? How was the thinking when it comes to marketing?
0: Uh, Definitely the latter. We were on a mission to make crypto mainstream. And part of that mission was, Bringing the word out, educate people. And that was also why we chose to do such public stunts like the Bitcoin Swiss tram in Zurich or the airport advertising or even the, the Geneva airport advertising. We had a huge advertising there as well because it not only shaped the narrative of the Bitcoin Swiss brand, but it also shaped the narrative of Crypto Nation Switzerland. And that narrative of Crypto Nation Switzerland initially came up. Through the former Federal Council.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, damn, <laughs> I forgot his name as well. I know who you're talking about, but it was not William Maurer. It was, yeah. Mauder, it was no, the other no, guy. No. It was it, it was the FTP guy, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. So the the crypto nation Switzerland narrative was initially coined by Johann schneider roman He was Federal Council at the time. And he held a speech, I think, at crypto finance conference in Davos. That was in 2018 or 19. And then he he used the term crypto nation Switzerland, and that was such a, an important term for uh, the, the crypto valley for the understanding of Swiss crypto people that we have now a federal council who sees Switzerland as a crypto nation, and that uh, got picked up and. We, as Bitcoin Swiss, we wanted to drive that narrative as well, because we were at the forefront of that revolution here in Switzerland, and we wanted to brand Switzerland as well with that. And there's no more perfect location for doing that than airport advertisings, where all uh, national and international people arrive here in Switzerland. Yeah. And see that.
1: Definitely. I mean, usually it's like watch brands, finance, like banks, private wealth managers, and Bitcoin Swiss. And it's great also with the name Bitcoin. I think in that regard, it's it's amazing because everybody knows Bitcoin, right? If you Mm -hmm. just go with another Mm -hmm. name, would be maybe that has nothing to
0: do. Anyways. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, yeah. and it's not only the narrative, it's also, uh, like you said, uplifting the brand into the league of the, the champions. You mm-hmm. have the, the, the best watch brands, you have Linton and you have international big brands there and now suddenly Bitcoin Swiss is, is part of that league and, and that creates a lot of trust, a lot of brand equity. And that, that was a mm-hmm. big thinking behind it as well.
1: Yeah. L- last question regarding Bitcoin Swiss and then we move over, but I, I just remembered when you said you wanted to bring it into the mainstream. I thought it's funny because there was a time in the last bull run 2021 like you couldn't open an account if you if you would invest not at least 100,000 Swiss francs which is around same as US dollars for simplicity for international listeners mm-hmm. that's not very mainstream not everybody has yeah. 100k
0: to invest in crypto yeah. yeah yeah we 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 grappled for a long time with that decision because one part of Big Swiss missions, as I said, was to make it mainstream, but the other part was, or has always been to serve its clients with the best possible service and hand clients and really establish a personal relationship and have a phone number where you can call your client advisor at all times and ask questions. And that's something that was unheard of in the crypto industry because usually you go to those big exchanges and there you had zero customer or client support. And we wanted to combine those two things. And yeah, at those times when the bull run was, it just became impossible to serve clients with the quality that we wanted to adhere to. So we had to increase the limit and free up resources to give the clients said, we already had the best possible service.
1: Mm-hmm. I, th- I think just to open an account with you, it must occur like hundreds of francs of costs, right? Because you have to check where is this money coming from as a broker. You don't really ha- are allowed to hold that money. I-, I, th- I heard all kinds of stuff. It's a little bit complicated, but basically it if you're a small fish, you're not bringing any uh, profit to the, to the company, you know. Hard to ask this question, but how profitable is running such a brokerage more or less like how do you make the money
0: also it depends on on the services you offer uh, The more mature the space becomes, the less profitable it is. Four or five years ago, running a brokerage which was trustworthy and reliable and high quality was quite profitable now brokerage and trading and custody and staking, those things all become commodities and margins are shrinking and shrinking. Uh, So it becomes harder to differentiate yourself. What you see now is that you have a lot of specialized players who only focus on one of those core services, scale it and optimize their profitability. And that's what Bitcoin Swiss and other like all-in-one service providers need to think about. How do they differentiate themselves and how do they create a value with an all-in-one package compared to those specialized service mm-hmm. providers?
1: Mm-hmm. And now you're not there anymore, enough Bitcoin Swiss. You're doing your own thing. The is the substack. Uh, and I love that wording, by the way, you say... On Dematerialized, I'm publishing obsessively curated field notes and actionable insights on crypto and Web3. And I love that word obsessively curated. Tell us more about your new venture. What, What are you doing there?
0: So Dematerialized is a blog where I publish my research, my notes, what I see in the space. It actually started unintentionally. I just started... Uh, reading a lot of what's happening and I recognized if you're not very deep in the space, you have a very hard time discerning important from not important. And so I started creating a log where I, I log all those things what, that I've read and it just started being a filter because I've been in the space for several years. I know a bit what's going on and that's how the idea the materialized, uh, came along. That's uh, as a gig that I'm doing at the moment. I just think it's super interesting what happens in the space. It's still a roller coaster every week. I don't know anything except maybe now AI that uh, offers so much different things all the time and headlines and developments and interesting stuff like crypto and Web3.
1: So uh, okay, this is a side project. What What is your main thing at the moment?
0: The main thing is 51 Ventures. That's a company that I used to advise brands and crypto projects, mainly on Web3 topics, NFT applications, and things like this, yeah.
1: Oh, okay. But it, it's somehow connected, right? In, in the sense that... Yeah,
0: it's all connected, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I've seen that you also, because it's a, it's a blog, but it's also a newsletter that you send it out. Mm-hmm. And I, I find this a very interesting field to be in uh, in terms of like it's now kind of a hype a little bit also to build newsletters right and, and try to monetizing it how many readers do you have at the moment
0: a bit over five thousand okay
1: and, and they're probably swiss mainly crypto interested people or, or not necessarily do you, do you know that what, the demographics
0: no mostly us-based readers oh, and wow. mostly people working in big corporations working mm-hmm. at brands, interested or working within Web3 units or interested in how they could apply Web3 technology for their brands.
1: I mean, that's a very valuable uh, target audience if you think about yeah. it. Did you already start to monetize the, the newsletter? And that I, would be the next step, right?
0: Yeah, I have a, a sponsor which is Near Foundation. Mm-hmm. And they're sponsoring the newsletter. I've also thought about creating a paid part of the newsletter, but I haven't come around doing it. And I'm not sure whether I want to do it because I wanted to make it accessible, as accessible as possible for as many readers. And if you start with paid content, then it's always exclusive. Yeah. And I think you need to strike a really fine balance between exclusive and non-exclusive content. And maybe it's a bit too early for that.
1: Mm-hmm. All ways of making money online interests me, but mostly connected with content, with marketing, newsletters, podcasting. Yeah, but I'm not sure if we should talk so much about it on the podcast, but I, I can send you some things in terms of, you know, people who have launched pod, um, interesting newsletters and monetized them very well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if you know, like the Milk Road or the Hustle from the US that, that was sold for, I think, around $30 million.
0: No, Stuff no. Like yeah, but uh, yeah, there are a lot of those stories. And I think that's also part of the time we live in, the creator economy. So a lot of people starting their own businesses, journalists who drop out of newspapers and start their own blogs and, and have exactly. a lot of, of tools available to, to monetize what they do.
1: Yeah. And when it comes to what you do with your other venture, the consulting, et cetera, like we, we all know, I think metaverse was the word of the year in twenty. 22 or 21. Mm-hmm. And every company thought they need to go into the metaverse. Mm-hmm. And everybody, like, suddenly, you know, like your boss from the sea level comes down to you and asks you, Hey, what do you know about this metaverse? And where is our metaverse strategy? And Facebook changes the name to Meta and puts like billions into these goggles. And somehow, not much has materialized so far. I would say it has been a little bit of a bubble. How do you, because your consulting is going a little bit into Metaverse as well, right? Web3, Metaverse. Do you feel the interest is still here and, or what are the misconceptions? Cause I think, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around the word Metaverse.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's exactly how you described when Facebook changed its name to Meta. There was, I think in October, 2021. That was the height of the hype. Mm -hmm. That was the the metaverse bubble. And um, of course, it bursted a bit since then. um, But I would say brands are definitely still interested. And there's a lot of interest from brands. If you look at... uh, uh, interbrand Top 100 uh, global brands ranking and you count how many brands have started experimenting with NFT technology and web3 tech it's about 40% and it continues to rise and the, the biggest brands in the world are doing stuff with it and that brings us to misconceptions one of the misconceptions you could have is it's already mainstream I think it's not at all mainstream. It's uh, still very niche, even though those big brands entered the space. It's a lot of experimenting going on, a lot of projects that don't yet create real value for users or customers, projects that aren't profitable, projects that wouldn't fulfill the traditional marketing KPIs. Uh, We saw that in 2021, but also in 2022. And now with the, I would say, a more damped economic macro environment, brands also start to look at profitability and it becomes harder to do such projects. And suddenly they need to prove to the management team that whatever they're doing here with those Web3 things actually creates value and creates profit for the company.
1: Something in the Apple ecosystem that's not even connected to Web3. Mm -hmm. How do you think about it?
0: I think the term metaverse has become such an inflated term that it almost has no meaning today. When I tell you about metaverse, you probably have a completely different understanding than someone else. And it's just used in various different contexts, sometimes from centralized companies like Facebook, sometimes in the context of crypto and Web3, but if I had to give you a definition, what I always use is it's an immersive, social, and interoperable, that's also very important, persistent virtual environment. And that could be literally anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, But I, 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 I think okay. why it's, it's so often used in the context of Web3 is because the, the big narrative is there are ever more people spending time in virtual worlds. And we've seen that with our generation. We were the generation of social media, generation of mobile phones. We started spending hours a day on mobile phones. And now the next generation is not only spending time on mobile phones, but they're spending time in those virtual worlds like Roblox and Sandbox and and Minecraft. And now if you connect that with Web3, part of the value proposition of Web3 is that you can own digital goods digital assets, NFTs, clothes, whatever, then this becomes a very intriguing value proposition because now you have an immersive digital world where you can own stuff. You can build your identity with what you own. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the connection lies between Web3 and, and the metaverse.
1: Yeah, yeah. What I've seen and also experienced myself is Something quite weird when it comes to NFTs, right? I mean, we all remember when NFTs came up, and the first reaction was, ah, oh, but you can right click and save the NFT. Obviously, you can do that. You can, the digital file or the pleasure of consuming this image is for everyone, but to own it is basically only a bragging right. And it, I, you know, like I want to own some NFTs. Some NFTs have somehow triggered something in me. Wouldn't it be cool to own a Fidenza? Like I I like art blocks. Wouldn't it be cool to own a a CryptoPunk? Just for the bragging rights. I mean, I can download all the 10,000 CryptoPunks, of course, and have them on my hard drive, but that's not the point. Um, And that's quite powerful, you know, like just to invoke this wanting to have and I think some brands may have a bigger chance to do that than others. What mm-hmm. brands do you see doing a great job with that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one well, thing to have and expressing your identity with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's been part of the the consumer goods market forever, and hopefully that thing also has some kind of utility. Then it will be the perfect product, you know. And and I think brands who jumped on that very early or luxury brands because they live from people possessing their stuff and building their identity with that. Mm -hmm. And they recognize that this suddenly becomes possible now in the digital space. What I think is still lacking though, is some kind of utility. So let's do an example. If you buy a, a Gucci sneaker as a virtual good, as an NFT. What can you do with it? Where can you present it? Where can you wear it? And that's why I said interoperability is so important because a metaverse without interoperability doesn't allow you to port those assets across worlds. That means they lose a lot of value. So that's that's very important, yeah.
1: And, um, you know, now looking at you, you're sitting in this beautiful farmhouse connected to the earth, you like cycling. We've talked about that before the p- recording. What are What is your interest in this kind of luxury space or, or, or what do you want to own? What kind of NFTs are invoking your desire for, for luxury? Because it seems like we both are maybe not the right target group, or are
0: yeah. we? Yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's, I'm definitely not interested in luxury goods. And I also wouldn't say that this is only something for luxury goods. I think that it's an obvious case for them, but I think it's something extremely interesting for every brand. Because whether you buy a Gucci bag for several hundred dollars virtually, or you buy Nike sneakers for $50 virtually, the the concept and the logic behind it is still the same. And, And what I find so intriguing, but by the way, if you ask... What NFT I have, I'm, for example, part of the, the um, Bitcoin punks, but maybe we can talk later about that. What,
1: what, 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 are, what are the Bitcoin punks? Is it the original project?
0: Yeah, it's an original project. It's, it was one of the first original collections that were minted or inscribed.
1: Oh, it's there. the CryptoPunks on original basically. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Like the whole
1: collection, one-to-one?
0: The, the whole collection, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you own you own a CryptoPunk, but it's an original punk. Yeah, yeah. Price-wise, probably a huge difference.
0: Huge difference, yeah. Much yeah. cheaper,
1: yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, but the, uh, what I wanted to say was why it's so intriguing is because I think every consumer brand has now this possibility to create virtual scarcity and virtual ownership that unlocks so many different use cases for them to engage their, their customers and work together in new ways and even change the model, how they create value. It's, it's very exciting, I think.
1: And which company does the best job right now? If people are listening and think, Hey, I want to check this out for myself. Where do you point them to? Who, who is killing it in this game right now?
0: I would point people to Nike. They're doing an extremely good job. They've been in the space for several years. And so far, I think they're the closest to crack Web3 tech-supported mass adoption. They're not there yet, but I think they're very close. They've been early in the space. They started understanding the space. They partnered, for example, with Artifact, that was a virtual sneaker designer company. And very close knit community in the, in the web three space already. Nike partnered with them, learned with them, co-created products with them. And now they have a much bigger vision. They basically want to build or connect everything mm-hmm. they do, virtual and physical and build a platform where users can experience everything that Nike does digitally. And that platform is called swoosh.com.
1: And to, just to have an idea, it doesn't yeah. mean like... In practice, I mean, if I go to a Nike store, I would buy a shoe, then I also get that same shoe as an NFT.
0: Yes, for example. Or you have an NFT and you have some special perks when you enter a store. Mm. They're not doing that yet, but I think it's very obvious that they will connect it soon. Okay, it's well, so like well, a membership
1: or something, yeah, that you get yeah. discounts, uh, etc.
0: Yeah, what mm-hmm. they what they did so far is they created that platform. They onboarded hundreds of thousands of users to that. Each user receiving a swoosh ID, which is an NFT in itself. And they made a few contests so far where users could start okay, creating virtual sneakers. And those virtual sneakers are called our force ones. Mm-hmm which is based on the heritage of the brand of the Air Force 1s
1: but it's got our force 1s our, our force yeah like like not yours but ours yeah like yeah our, exactly our, yeah because uh,
0: yeah. because so much in web3 is about community and building together and co-creation this was a perfect name for mm-hmm. that collection mm-hmm. and it also it it's based on the most iconic thing Nike ever created with their brand, which is the Air Force One shoe.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. And they, they started like co-creating that with users and users uh, kind of entered the contest to design the best shoes. And then there was a vote on who designed the best ones. And uh, now those shoes are produced in digital collections and they can be bought by other users. And the creators, okay. of course, they receive royalty fees. And that's all done on the blockchain itself.
1: You're obsessively curating news. And I think, why don't we just talk about what happened just recently? The biggest news of the day. What what, what caught your eye?
0: As the biggest news of this week, and I would even say of the last couple of months, and maybe even this year was the Ripple case that was finally ruled by a judge that ripple which was or is a company who started the ripple currency um, xrp Mm -hmm. xrp exactly they got accused by the sec that xrp is a security and that they conducted an unregistered security sale and that case was going on for the last three years Mm -hmm. and it was like a Democluss word looming over the whole industry because that's a landmark decision how cryptocurrencies in the future could be classified.
1: Yeah, and it was in the light of new accusations by the SEC or not accusations, um, lawsuits, right? So does that take that all now away, you know, these discussions or what did you read? How are experts thinking about that?
0: Yeah, as as you said, there was a lot going on this year, the SEC, accusing, suing large established crypto players in the U.S. of unregistered security sales, including Coinbase. And before the Ripple case came out, it it almost looked like crypto will not have a good future in the U.S. I would say that narrative now shifted. It's not all black and white in this case. Um, I think there are very important details and nuances that you need to consider. But all in all, this is positive news. It shifts the narrative back again that crypto could have a future in the US.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's affecting the whole space because it's not only crypto finance, there are also a lot of brands in the US who build Map3 and, and, and that's just a very positive sign overall.
1: Yeah, and Ripple literally did a huge jump. It's crazy. I think it went up like almost 100% for a while there. It literally just, the price jumped up and the whole market reacted very
0: positively.
1: Basically, every coin pumped yesterday. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that was was great. That's why I'm so happy today. And
0: (laughs) uh, yeah, people are also positive (laughs) about Coinbase because Coinbase got also sued by the SEC 400 security sales, and that could have an impact on their lawsuit with the SEC as well. It's probably also positive news for Coinbase, but as I said, there are a lot of nuances also with the Ripple case, but overall it's, it's positive.
1: Do you feel now, as you don't work anymore at Bitcoins, do you miss kind of being there because you would pick up more signs when the market picks up, you know, like internally? Like, yeah, I don't know, more calls, more clients, more interest or not necessarily. Do you still feel the same connection?
0: I still feel the same connection. I would say even a more closer connection now because I have a bit more time to actually read stuff and I've set myself a good like list of sources where I get the most important information and Additionally, I would say I even have a less biased perspective.
1: Less biased. Uh, Less biased
0: because when you're working inside such a company, you usually have the rosy glasses on. Mm -hmm. And now I often see stuff and assess it from a person that doesn't, like a normal, normal person who doesn't read or care about crypto all day. And but I, you read and care about crypto all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, also the right, sources that you that you go to, they're probably yeah. all pro. I mean, only pro-crypto is talking about crypto unless it goes to the mainstream media and then there's nothing new to learn for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true, yeah. But uh, I would say I'm, I definitely became a bit more critical on mainstream adoption and what it needs and what's still missing and all that, yeah.
1: Let's say cautiously optimistic. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's how I feel too. And yeah. also re- realistic. Yeah. I mean, co- coming back to, to the NFT Web3 adoption topic with brands, it's super cool that there are so many brands experimenting with that, but we also have to be realistic and see what's missing. And What's missing is a clear utility and the UX, I mean, it's still way too complicated. It involves too many steps. It needs too much education to onboard the mainstream user. And I think we just have to be realistic about that and work towards making it better, simpler yeah. Yeah. or useful. Yeah.
1: And this reminds me also of a lot of crypto still happening on desktop, but kids, they don't even know, like I have, I have a lot of friends who are teachers and they tell me, kids don't even know like simplest things on computers anymore. Like they're on their phone. The phone is their entry into the world and that's real mainstream, right? Kids, yeah. kids are on TikTok. They know probably less than we did in the same age about computers. If you grew up in this kind of curated environment of a phone or of an iPad, you, you understand even less like even where, where a file is saved or how nice. how all this stuff works. So I think there, the real mainstream is still far away. Of course, there are a lot of kids that know much more than we did also, but they're kind of nerds or the uh, gamers. I, I don't mean that in a bad way, I, I mean, in a good way, but there's, there's, it's a niche, right? It's not the main mainstream.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think are the, the biggest adoption hurdles for crypto and Web3?
1: The biggest hurdles, I think also it's UX, it's use cases that are penetrating your day to day. For instance, mm-hmm. I think crypto has a lot of use cases already with uh, a store of value, right? Like Bitcoin. I think NFTs, et cetera, have a use case in terms of you can trade it, you can speculate. It's kind of like the biggest casino in the world. That's already a use case. If you look at uh, Las Vegas. How many billions worth is Las Vegas? That's also a real use case. Then the adoption will only come if we have a phone, if Apple or a big company will bring it to their native, to the phone. I think the phone is uh, the the key. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Apps, you know, a a, a killer app on the phone. That would be, that would be adoption for me.
0: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But we'll see, I mean, I'm quite happy also if it stays niche as long as we are free to play with it.
0: I, I actually think we're on the verge of making at least mm-hmm. NFTs mainstream with brands now experimenting, but still targeting a niche Web3 audience. Some of them are on the cusp of now integrating Web3 tech without actually mentioning it and pushing it to their whole customer base. When this happens successfully, then we reach mainstream. And would you say
1: that's stuff like, okay, I have an expensive watch and I want to be sure it's an original one, and then there would be somehow a way of verifying it on the blockchain, like this kind of stuff? Or are you talking more about, okay, I'm Starbucks and I'm having now an NFT and I'm now a member of, yeah, I don't know, exactly, get a, a free a free cup every now and then.
0: Yeah, yeah, both, both. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The, the the one case when you say about Starbucks is just like I don't care if it's interoperable. It can be on Web two as well. If it's just like some loyalty points, then I wouldn't need to have it on the uh, on the blockchain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if it's about like miles for airplanes, I mean, this is a huge market and it's complicated. And you can sell them, and there it would help a lot, right? If if you if you really have this decentralized way of trading them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you also you you could transfer them, you you could trade them, trade them, monetize them, and hopefully you also get utility beyond just the monetary value. The casino is making money could be use case an incentive for people to engage with it. So value mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily need to be monetary value. It could also be utility within a brand ecosystem that you really care about, or that gives you access to unique experiences that you couldn't have before, or gives you a certain status within a community or things like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, see I can see a world like that. Also with live events, with ticketing, which is also kind of broken, right? I mean, now Taylor Swift is coming to Zurich soon and I, I read that people pay like 3000 bucks on the secondary market for, for a ticket to go and see Taylor Swift. And if Teluswif would have a community of loyal fans who have proven that they listened so and so many hours and they have gained over the lifetime, this kind of token of being a super fan, and then they could log into a website and prove that and get the tickets earlier than everybody else for the normal price, that would be something super valuable. Mm -hmm. But what happens then? Then people will start to sell these tokens to somebody else if it's not soul bound, which is a new interesting idea as well. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end, if something is valuable, it will get financialized somehow on the blockchain or on mm-hmm. DeFi somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Cool. Mark, where should people find you? What should people do? Guide them to your Substack or uh, Twitter, whatever you want.
0: Uh, yeah, you can find me on dematerialized.xyz. I will post it
1: in the show notes because it's uh, written a bit funky. It's not straightforward. Yeah, it's it's
0: dematerialized. So there are some letters missing.
1: Ah, okay. I see, (laughs) but thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you very much. If you are still listening, chances are that you liked this episode. DeFi is not just me. It's also you, the listener. And each day there are more listeners joining and together we can spread the word about DeFi by giving it five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Send this episode to a friend who might be interested. Check out the website, visit defire.money and click on subscribe to get the new episode and in the future also blog posts directly into your inbox. Also make sure to follow me on Twitter at defiremoney. All of this helps so we can continue to produce more episodes more frequently and get the most interesting guests that you deserve. Good night and see you soon.